The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. Welcome to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, Ed Meyer. And good evening and welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer. And thank you for taking your time on this Thursday evening to join us, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Depending on which side of the coast you live on, and if you don't know now, it's right or left. That's what mom taught me when I was a kid. Makes it easy, but you should know where you're at. But, hey, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it because without you, there'd be no us. Speaking about us, speaking about you, 2011 is here. New technology is on the way, and we're going to be there to update, inform, and predict and make your new year a winner. Winning Ponies kicking it off. I, I mean, I cannot believe it. Where did the year go? I mean, we, we can probably encapsulate everything. You know, all the big races, Tecumbate, all the Derby, all the Breeders' Cup. And you know what? It's still going to seem like it just flew by. Thus far, we're at $66,050 in exotic predictions, and we are five days into the new year. Th- those are incredible numbers right there. And we hope that you are aboard. It's not all about us. It's about you. We want you to make your day fun, informative, and a winning one. Nothing better than an informed horse player knowing what they're doing. Hopefully, winning ponies can make your day better. Happy birthday, all the thoroughbreds. Yep. If you don't know it, here's a little Jeopardy trivia question. They all have a birthday on January 1. That's right. Happy birthday, dear Snoozy Pooh. They all turn a year older on January 1. So, if you, in fact you're looking for the two-year-olds, why are they now three? And why are they not having a specific birthday with hay and cake? Because January 1 is their birthday. So they are five days old in this year. And believe it or not, Gulfstream signifies in my mind's eye that racing has really begun. Shortly thereafter, fairgrounds will just get better and better each and every weekend. And then after that, we've got Oakland. And it just gets better and better. Now, don't forget, we've got the Kentucky Circuit, the rest, of, the rest of Florida, which is Tampa Bay, incredible. New York always offers tons of action. California, need I say more? Year-round action 2011 is here. Let's kick it off. Let's do it upright. What do we got on docket tonight? We got some biggins for you. We're going to recap the biggins. We're going to recap last week's stakes racing action. We're going to give you a little story to chew on. Read a little neat little ditty about Rockingham Park. I really liked it. Really like it from the horse racing insiders. Kind of cool. Special guest got dose. That means two. We have two special guests. We have an ace handicapper and all around good guy and a very good friend of mine. Someone I'm proud and Please to get beat by and throttled about the face and ears every contest we play together. 
He's one hell of a nice guy. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, I sure wish this guy all the luck in the world when he goes to Vegas. I believe he's going to be meeting his better half out there, but we're not going to tease him. I think she does the handicapping, and he just does the listening, which if he was wise, he'd follow that suit. But all kidding aside, joining us is going to be Brian Feldman as he heads out to Vegas Fourth time qualifying, I believe. Now, if he's if I'm wrong, trust you me, he will correct me. I believe it's fourth time qualifier for Mr. Feldman as he goes to the Red Rock for the championship in Vegas. Always looking good. Last week we had Dave and Turner and Brian Feldman. These guys are one in one A when you see them sitting in a contest. If you've ever felt like you've reached into the ring and you felt like a gigantic tag team is on the other end of the ropes, it's these two guys. Then we got Red Hot Fairgrounds trainer. Mr. Steve Margolis is going to be in the house, winning about oh, 23% at a fairgrounds. I guarantee it will be higher. He's going to join us, talk horses here on Winning Pony. Spoke to him a few times this week. Steve's a great guy, energetic. I think you're going to enjoy that, so you're going to definitely want to stay tuned for that. Then we have a little bit of news and some final furlong handicapping. If we can squeeze it in, we got a whole lot to do in short period of time, which we always do, and we always love to do it that way. So... Two great handicappers, and let's kick it off right now with some biggins. Friday, December 31st, 91 total biggins leading the pack. Tampa Bay Downs race eight, a superfecta, 12,543.20. Pretty sweet for TBD. Saturday, January 1, 2011, Happy New Year, 58 total biggins. Calder leads the pack race three, superfecta key, 4,158.60. And then we go to Sunday, January 2nd, 87 total biggins. Golden Gate Race 8, a Superfecta, 3,261.60. Monday, January 3rd, Penn National leads the crowd with race number 8 in a trifecta, 1,648.40. Been a while since I played Penn. I need to start buckling down there. Well, what's wrong with me? Tuesday, January 4th, 31 total biggins. Calder leads the pack, race 5. Super, 5,854.80. You got to love that indeed. Wednesday, January 5th, 19 total biggins. TBD, Tampa Bay Downs, race number two. A super effect of $1,255 even. Thursday, January 6th, 27 total biggins. Santa Anita, race number four. A super effect of key, $1,133 even. So that is your biggins. That is what's happening. Hopefully you were on board. Hopefully you were all over it. We'd like to hear that. I mean, it's always nice to hear that, you know, Winning Ponies is doing well, but it's even nicer to hear that you're smacking them around. That's the best part. And then we're going to do a little recap here on last week. And it's kind of hard to believe the New Year is already here, and we're already already into it in big-time fashion. We're going to do all the North American stakes. The Robert J. Franco stakes, great, too, at Santa Anita. Winner is spring style. Garrett Gomez or Ben Cecil wins by a dirty nose. The stage door Betty handicap grade three. A Calder, Luis Saez for Marty Wilson. He's king of the turf, but he's also king of the dirt as well. Wins by a length. Too clever for words, that is. Wins by a, a sweet length for Luis Saez. The Daytona Stakes grade three. Santa Anita, six and a half on the turf. Winner, Dilemma. Garrett, Garrett Gomez. Go, go, Gomez for Tommy Proctor. Wins by a length in three parts. Tropical Park Derby, a Calder race course. King Kanji is the winner by a half. 
for J.J. Castellano. And you know what the J.J. stands for? I will not fight Calvin Burrell. Can't blame him. I, I don't think I would either. But no, just kidding. J.J. is a great writer in, his, in every right, not just his own, but uh, in, in every language that he can speak and anyone else can. He's uh, one of my favorites for Tom Albatrani in the Tropical Park. That was King Kanji. And then we go on to California Oaks, Golden Gate Fields, Lilacs and Laces. The winner, Russell, the muscle base, wins by a length and a half. And I like any time Russell wins. Doesn't pay much, but it's always good to see him in action. The Count Fleet Stakes at Aqueduct. Winner is Monzon, Edgar Prado. And I'm glad to see this guy is picking his head up in 2011. I was a little concerned about him there for a while. He wins by a solid length aboard Monzon in the Count Fleet. Then we had the Tropical Park Oaks at the Calder. Dynamic Holiday. The winner is Julian Lepru for Graham H. Motion. Wins by a dirty nose over brilliant idea. Then we had the Interborough Stakes at Aqueduct. $63,000 up for grass. Winners, Nicole H. Wins by two and a half lengths. Ramon Dominguez for Mike Ushan. Very nice indeed. Anytime Dominguez is aboard, you have to really buckle down and play. Then we got the Champagne for Ashley Stakes at Aqueduct. Winner is Preaching It to the Devil. Wins by three and a quarter lengths. Junior Alvarado for Gary Contessa. We got the classic and classical and nuevo, a Camaro racetrack. Yep, they're going to go seven panels there. My doctor Waleska wins by a length and a half. Uh, that was very nice. Fifty-nine thousand dollars up for grabs in that race. Then we got the blush in KD handicap at Fairgrounds. AV's tail, the winner Rosie Napravnik. She knows no boundaries for Josie Carroll by three and a quarter lengths. Very nice. Minaret stakes at Tampa Bay Downs all TBD. Stormy Publisher is the winner by a dirty nose for Frederick Lenclou for Christophe Clement. And uh, Clement, usually known for his turf, and uh, Lenclou was going to be the next Julian Lepreau. Now, I know that's tough boots to fill, but Frederick's doing a great job. And uh, uh, maybe not Lepreau uh, quality yet, but, you know, who knows? We might get there. Holiday cheer at Turfway Park. Winner is Western Prospector Ben Creed in the Irons. I love it here. Wins by a length and a quarter. It's a $50,000 race at beautiful Turfway Park. And there you have it. There's a little recap. If you were under a rock, if you were in jail, if uh, nobody pay your bail, you now are caught up. Speaking about somebody that's caught up, we're going to be jumping out to him here right after the break. It's Brian Feldman. Now, i got to tell you, this is a rare time where I get to talk and he just has to listen for a minute. This guy is one hell of a handicapper. He's a good friend, and I give him a lot of grief, but I have, have to tell you, I am sick and tired of being beaten like a dog. Maybe that's not the right word. Beaten like a cheap piece of steak, you know, by the mallet. I mean, he just lays the hammer to me each and every time. Brian, I'm officially sick and tired of it, and I finally told you I would get the final word on you. But we're going to be jumping out to Mr. Feldman here as he's going to be making his way out to the Red Rock Awfully proud of him. Last week on Dave and Turner, Brian Feldman this week, uh, as I said before, they are the 1 and 1A, one as you see them at contest, and both are very heady players. So a great story this week, and Horse Racing Insider, it always kind of grabs mine. I talked about Rockingham Park, you know, and it kind of went on here and, and just kind of encapsulated a little bit. It said, Seabiscuit ran five races as a two-year-old in 1935.0 for five before he ultimately found his way into the hills of California. Horse of the Year Discovery Race to Rockingham Park. The great Dr. Fager 
Roman Brother, the New England's redoubtable Philly, Mom's Command, Johnny Longdon, George Wolf, Aviliano Gomez, the originator of the Flying Dismount. Not, uh, not our man from Italy. It was uh, Avelino Gomez. Pinkai, McCarran, Bailey, Cordero, Shoemaker, Ikaza. Hall of Fame Julie Crone as well. It sounds like The Rock was the place to be. You know, it, it, The Rock is always rolling. It says the parking lot was more crowded than most expected. Rockingham Park. Now, you know, I have to say that I, I never really did much, did much homework on it. I, I didn't know, but it says... But the rock is still rolling. This was the place where Horseman's Benevolent Protection Association began, which is great for the game. We're protecting horsemen, which is ultra, ultra important. Where life insurance was the first made available to jockeys. Once again, terrific. The site of racing's first daycare center. Well, that's nice if you want to take your kids to the track there. They're maybe a little young, but hey, it's nice. It's nice. The kids at the center named Rockingham Horse Park, and they rode a mule named Francis, reported to be a stand-in for Francis the Talking Mule. Now, I know. What does all this mean? Nothing. But it just means Rockingham was the place to be in its day and time. Talking about a gentleman here in this article, Phil Ernst, his brother is is a local at a track that I frequent. I'm not going to mention I'm not going to mention him, but Philly Ernst was a rider. He's now, he appears healthful, but he's a disabled rider. He came over to visit. He said the bug is always there, but Philly Ernst was an East Coast wonder, and his brother, Mike, is a local at some northern Kentucky, Ohio tracks, and he's quite the handicapper, and they're quite the racing family. So there you have it. You've got a little biggins. You've got a little recap. And you got a little story about The Rock, maybe a little too much information than you ever wanted to know, but it kind of segues into a perfect break and into one of the best guests we're going to have on all year. We are going to head out to our first break, and when we return, as I've told you, we're going to be speaking with a gentleman handicapper, a very good friend of mine, and a guy that's ultra dangerous in Vegas, and I've installed him as the 2-5 to five favorite to take it all down to the Red Rock, Mr. Brian Feldman, but you're only going to catch it here on Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horse Stradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. 
We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back to Winning Ponies. I'm Ed Meyer, and thank you for taking your time to be with us, because without you, there'd be no us. This is our second segment. This is where we have our special guest of the week on. Actually, it's going to be second and third. We're going to have special guests on. But this one's near and dear to my heart. He's, uh, he's a very good friend, a gentleman who hails from Mason, Ohio, and is one of the best handicappers I've ever had the privilege of being schooled and beaten on a regular basis by, and he's a damn nice guy. Brian Feldman, are you there? I'm here, Ed. And thanks for taking your time to be with us uh, from your lovely wife. And uh, you're, you're going to be joining us here, and uh, you're going to be talking all about us. You know, confirm and or deny this, if you can help me out with this. They're on the circuit scene, they're, people are calling you the blonde wonder. Is this true? Uh, it's rumored, Ed. Uh, I don't know who started it, but it's, it's starting to catch on a little bit. But that's all right. I've been called worse, I guess. You know, it is a good thing. You know, I'm thinking about actually trying to find you a sponsor of Clairol. You know, any any money, and maybe they, you know, foot your bill through the contest. I mean, you're, you're game for that, right? I'll take anything I can get in. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> My bad. He's on his way to the Red Rock in Vegas. Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. This is your fourth time, and uh, which is incredible. And, uh, you know, going to the Red Rock in Vegas, I've heard it's beautiful, which means that I have not been. And uh, this is your first time with our show, and we are very glad to have you. Can you tell our listeners uh, about the times you've qualified and where? Uh, just, uh, actually, I qualified at Turfway Park in uh, September of 2001, uh, first time I qualified. Actually, for all the people out there that say that they, you know, they're a little overwhelmed, I guess, by the, uh, by the handicapping contests, you know, scenarios that go on and everything else and think that they can't uh, have beginner's luck, I actually won my first contest in uh, September of 2001, and so I went to the 2002 contest at uh, – I think believe it was at the MGM that year, and I think I came in 14th place that year. It then took me six more years to get back there, Ed. So I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's taken a lot of hard work and everything else to get back. I qualified 2008 at Churchill Downs, finishing second place at Churchill Downs, and then uh, in 20, uh, 2010, I uh, won the uh, an online competition for TwinSpires.com. And then this year I qualified on NHCqualified.com. So, like I said, for the people that, you know, it's hard to believe that you can go out there and win your first contest, but I think a lot of luck played a, played a big part in that. So, 
You know, that's, that's, that's an incredible resume. You talked about winning your first, actually. Uh, <laughs> if, if there's ever been a curse that's ever been bestowed upon my head, I won my first. And I have not gotten back to the winter circle since, and it's been five years, and I'm starting to hate life. But I'm going to start copying over your shoulder. I've already, I've already determined that. Is that okay with you? That's fine with me, Ed. Anyway, we, anyway, I, anyway, I can help you out, buddy. I, I don't, I don't. Sometimes I, I think you're, you're better off not looking over my shoulder because I've also <laughs> had plenty of times where I've been frustrated myself on the uh, handicapping circuit. Trust me. <laughs> you know, when when I actually watch you uh, when you play, I mean, you know, before the contest, you know, you, you're really open. You, you talk to everyone, and the best part about it, in my opinion, is the camaraderie that, that you actually feel. I mean, these aren't just people that you know. You come and go. I mean, before the contest, people. People will come up and they'll talk, but once once the bell rings, they get busy and they get down to it. But beforehand, I mean, people, it's it's like the World Poker Tour. It's like any professional tour where, where professionals gather and they actually talk, you know, the, the uh, sport of the day. The interesting thing, Ed, is the fact that everybody in that room, no matter what their background is or anything else, we all have one passion and one love, and that's horse racing. And I think that, that as long as everybody has something in common, such as that, I mean, it's, it is. I, I've, I've had a lot of great friendships that I've been able to, to have with a lot of people at the racetrack, you know, outside of tournaments and including tournaments. It's, uh, it's a neat thing to do. It's a, it's a social event. It's a, it's a good time. But like you said, when the, when the, when the bell rings, you better, you, better, you better buckle down and figure out a way to find some winners because if not, you're not going to be near the top, that's for sure. Very quickly, if you can encapsulate this, there was a camera that picked you up at Churchill Downs that saw a horrible scene. The day that I believe that you qualified, there was a, a crazy man with you that brought you some discomfort. Well, the, the, actually, the, the, <laughs> the funny thing about that contest was uh, in the beginning of the contest, I hit two horses back-to-back. I think one of them was 35-1, to one, and maybe one of them was, I don't know, 25-1 to one or something, back-to-back within about – Eight or nine minutes. The funny thing was, was there was another, there was somebody else in the room that also had the same two horses. But the uh, that wasn't a, that wasn't my biggest uh, obstacle that day. My biggest obstacle that day was trying to figure out how to get you back to my car after I came in second because of your bad foot. I, the rest of the day I couldn't pick a winner. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it on you that I couldn't pick a winner the rest of the day because I was trying to figure out how I was gonna be able to get you back to my car. So <laughs> my toe was wrapped and I was a mess. <laughs> You'd never felt so sorry for a man in your life. Brian, your love of racing is is longstanding, and now you've evolved into uh, being a contest player, and that, that is just terrific. How, how did your love affair with racing begin? Who, who was your who was your first time taker to the races? Early on, uh, early on, a lot of times we would go as a our whole family would go over to River Downs. Kind of neat. I still remember taking the ferry over from Northern Kentucky over to River Downs, and that's been a few years. And uh, I think it really captured my attention when one time my grandmother came back to her seat or whatever, and she was kind of upset that she had gone to the window and was kind of uneasy about going back up to the window because she had put a ticket in that was wrong. And she offered my dad and said, do you want to split it with me? It was a $2 ticket. My dad handed my grandma a dollar and said, yeah, not, not that big a deal here. You know, and he didn't even really look at the ticket. Is that the horses crossed the finish line? It ended up being an exact that paid close to a thousand dollars. And at that point, right then, as a young guy, I was, I was, I was amazed that the two dollar wager could bring back a thousand dollars. Now those are those are tough to come by. Trust me, I don't think I've ever had a two dollar wager to pay back that. You know, on an exact, certainly, but uh, 
that certainly captured my attention, and uh, ever since then, I've been uh, I've been trying to trying to find the thousand dollar exacta, I guess. That makes you third generation horse player. Uh, Granny was uh, was qu- was quite <laughs> pretty tough in her own day at River Downs to be playing the thousand dollar exacta. That's pretty sweet, uh, Brian. It, as a handicapper, professional handicapper as you are, and, and when I say professional, that's someone who plays for money. And you do it quite well, and you know you you have a you have a very nice system in place of which we're going to get to here shortly. A regular day of racing, you know, if we're following Brian Feldman around, what you know, and as I'm trying to peek over your shoulder, what type of staple wagers will Brian Feldman be playing at the races on on a regular day? On a regular day, not in, I mean outside of, of course the handicapping contest. A lot of times, I like to sit down with the racing form the night before and uh, go through. My main thing is to try to find two or three horses that I'm going to go to the racetrack and bet to win. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people, a lot of people, you know, try to play pick threes, pick fours. Now, I, I'll play them occasionally here and there and tie them up with the horse, the couple of horses that I've shown up uh, that I will show up at the racetrack to bet. But it's kind of foolish to sit around all night long and handicap the races and handicap the races and then go to the racetrack with two or three horses to bet. And one or two of those horses win, and you come back and you're like. Well, how'd you do today? And you look, and well, I broke about it. About even if if you go to the racetrack and you're trying to trying to win money, I think you have to narrow it down a lot of times to to, to spots that you can that you have an advantage, I guess you could say, that you've actually handicapped races that fit you. And the only way to do that is singling down to a single horse is by betting the win wager. You know, the exotics are easy are an easy lure for a lot of people, but for me, I, it gets back to the basics. Betting to win. I mean, if you if your horse wins on the day, I mean, you're going to win on the day. That's the way I look at it. Oh, you get paid, and I think it was just about a week or so ago. You would, you would. I mean, it wasn't a braggart's tone by any means. You had said, you know, Ed, you know, I, I was waiting for this horse to to run. I think your your home track is Turfway Park, and right. and you do very well on the poly track. And I believe the horse paid a right around twenty five, if I have that right. And you said, you know, hey, and I caught him. Right. This was one that I waited for. That that was one of your your target plays of the day. It sure was. Like I said, that you know whether it's at Turfway Park, you know, it's certainly one of the one of the circuits. You know, the Kentucky Circuit is one of the ones that I follow probably the most. But uh, you have to be centralized to a certain extent. You have to find the tracks that you you're not going to beat. You're not going to you're not going to beat the guy. You're in a mutual pool with other with other handicappers. It's tough to beat the guys in California. You don't have the information and you don't know as much as I haven't grown up with California racing. So I think like you said, I think it's you need to uh you need to find the tracks that fit you and the, the certainly the ones that you have the most experience and success with. A wise man person, a wise man told me who is a wise person just the same stick to your knitting and in fact you do you play the Kentucky circuit where you follow day in and day out right for the poly track in your opinion now we've got two tracks in Kentucky that are two tracks that are not and in in your opinion poly track is is this a fading trend and or is it here to stay uh, my opinion in in Kentucky certainly at Turfway Park I think it works I think the breakdowns uh, have been uh, minimized I guess the but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of places certainly out in California. It, it certainly didn't make sense out there. I've always been amazed that they actually put a, t- a poly track in up there at Arlington Park. Um, I'm, I'm glad they did for a certain extent because you know them being Churchill Downs, I think that may have been the testing facility for them to bring the poly track to uh, Churchill Downs. And uh, oh, I'm really happy that it hasn't gone any farther than it has. Oh, I I, I agree, and I mean. 
I, I think we were chatting offline last night, and 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 in my guesstimation, guess just a guesstimation, I'd say it wouldn't surprise me just from a rating standpoint that we see a derby under the lights. The derby under the lights sounds good to me. You know, I mean, if if that if that will drive horse racing and get more fans involved. And uh, I think one of the main things about having it under the lights, a lot of tracks that day certainly uh, depend on that day as far as handle and uh, trying to get above the uh, above the line of making money. Uh, Derby Day is the day that they do it. And if if the post times are pushed back a little bit for Derby Day, you know, for the actual Derby, if it goes at you know nine o'clock at night, um, in a lot of ways I don't think it's such a bad thing because of some of the smaller tracks can certainly and certainly capture some of that handle throughout the day when a lot of people will be showing up to drop off bets for the Derby. And certainly the Derby parties will be much will be a heck of a lot more fun probably later in the evening, too. So there's nothing wrong with that. I, I can't agree more. It would be a great way to dovetail up. But, you know, who knows better than Churchill Downs than, than either one of us. Uh, uh, I would just say it would be, be an interesting experiment when we ran the Breeders' Cup, uh, the big race under under the lights, I think it's uh, one time I think they ran in the dark uh, as a Breeders' Cup race, which was by uh, just by happenstance. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, part in the future. Back to handicapping, Brian, I was taking a look at American Turf Monthly, and there's something called the Connie Awards, recognized the best in the handicapping world in 2010. Here's some of these, uh, and I'll just kind of encapsulate this real quick. They call it the Connie, and that, that is the, the award. Uh, Noel Michaels, uh, an excellent writer, great handicapper as well. Top Tournament Award goes to the Win Las Vegas Handicapping Challenge. The Tournament Destination Award goes to the Surfside Race Place at Del Mar, which is absolutely beautiful. Top on-track tournament host award goes to the Naira Contest at Aqueduct Belmont and Saratoga. Uh, that one did not surprise me. Best online contest award, publichandicapper.com, which is very nice. They're always packed plush and full. The call beyond the, the, the beyond the call of duty, excuse me, Keeneland gets the conning for this as they had a little glitch in the summer and they, they made up for it uh, in the uh, in the wintertime. The best tournament town is Las Vegas, and that goes without saying. Best tournament award, the best first ever Saratoga handicapping challenge. Best new tournament award. And best tournament that left the NHC Tour is Delaware Park. Now, in fact, I mean, these are the Connies that are talking about wagering here. Brian, as, as players, contest players, that is, what do we need to look for for points, tours, contests? What do you look for? I think I think the most important part about the tour is the fact that the participation, the participation right now, is at a level. It's it's probably it needs to grow certainly to uh, for the for the for the sport and for the contest to survive. But I look at the odds right now, and there's a I mean it's it's forty five dollars to enter. There's less than two thousand people that are now registered for the tour. We're going to be playing for a million. Top prize is going to be a million dollars. You tell me right now if you give me forty five dollars and I give you a one in two thousand chance for a million dollars. I that's not a bad. Those aren't those aren't bad odds in my opinion. So certainly I, I think I think I think it's going to grow. I think once people start to understand the fact that you can win some money at these tournaments and they're all, they're certainly a whole heck of a lot of fun and. I'm, I'm hoping it grows. I'm hoping it grows like the World Poker Tour, you know. But we'll, we'll wait and see, I guess. I think it's right on the right on the cusp. And as soon as uh, and you brought this up in in a conversation we had, of uh, something that the industry can do, and that's fan education. 
you know, not, not, you're not necessarily addressing the takeouts, the less dates, but fan education and utilizing the facilities as, uh, as uh, entertainment venues. You actually alluded to your home track, Turfway Park, of what they did on New Year's Eve, and they had a blowout night, a, a great night indeed, which, you know, more tracks need to be need to be to the forefront of this and actually jumping in. But fan education is first and foremost. I believe we both agree to that. Certainly, certainly. It's frustrating sometimes to go to the uh, to go to a con- to go to either either a contest or or just a day at the racetrack. Certainly, when you go to Keeneland, there's a lot of people that haven't been to the racetrack, and I think they need to educate the fans. It's it's tough when you're standing in line and there's somebody in front of you that doesn't know how to wager. And I've been there. I'm sure you've been there, and it is frustrating. But sometimes you got to step aside and think to yourself, you know what? Maybe maybe I could walk up. You know, you can certainly walk up and say, "Hey, look, I know kind of, I kind of know what I'm doing. I've done this a few times." Mm-hmm. And maybe grabbing somebody and maybe educating them a little bit just to how to wager, because I think a lot of times people show up at the racetrack, and uh, if if their first their first impression is uh, somebody hollering at them to hurry up or anything else like, like that, I think it's a uh, it's a tough sell from then on to uh, to try to get somebody back to the racetrack. That's for sure. So, it's a very sensitive environment, especially you know you're there to play your money. There's nothing more embarrassing. You're playing craps, uh, alluding to a whole different game, and it's really confusing if you don't know what's going on. And somebody, hey, how are you going to go again? And they start hollering at you. Before you know it, you don't care anymore. And, and I think uh, as working in the industry for many moons, that, that I think that we, we really need to take our time. Because these are our most valuable assets, and they're people, and, and they're the gamblers, they're the players, they're the fans, and these are the people that make racing go round. The, the, the trainers and the owners, they bring the horses over, but these are the people that actually generate the front side where the income comes, and uh, comes in for the, for the bottom line. So I, I, I don't think we can spend enough time with them. That's for sure. Like I said, I think, it, I think it, like I said, I think a lot of times it uh, depends on the play. I think people ought Somebody took you to the racetrack. I think a lot of times the players that are listening to the program today, you know what I mean, take somebody to the racetrack. The only way this sport's going to survive is if we continue to pass it on. And when I show up at these handicapping contests, um, I'm one of the younger people, and, and, and one, one of the younger uh, people in the in, in the contest. It's it's amazing to see that the sport's not growing. It's 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 really tough. I'll tell you. In fact, it is. Final question, Mr. Feldman. When you board the plane for Vegas, describe what it's like when you walk through the doors of the Red Rock for the championship. When I walk into the doors of the Red Rock, I certainly know that I've made it, that's for sure. But uh, you really feel good when you see people like uh, Mike Watchmaker, Stephen Christ, former champions such as uh, Judy Wagner. You know, when you when you see people like that and you know you're up against it, that's for sure. But uh I'll do the best I can out there, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, I'll uh, do a little better than I did last time. And maybe you'll have me back on the show, Ed. Have you back? I beg for it. Uh, I've already installed you as the two to five favorite to win, so now you're going to pay me to remove the two to five moniker off of uh, off of your name, two to five Brian, right? I think three hundred to one probably be a better better <laughs> estimate there, Ed. Brian, on behalf of Winning Ponies, we'd like to thank you for taking your time to be with us this evening, and we wish you all the best in Las Vegas in the DRF NTRA Championship. You, Mr. David Turner, and so many of our other friends, have a great time, my friend. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the Red Rock. And, Brian, do your damnedest and take the money home. Thank you very much, for Ed, for having me on, bud. It's my pleasure, Brian. Great talking to you, buddy. Bye-bye. 
That's been Brian Feldman, ace handicapper, and he's going to the Red Rock for the fourth time. We're not even going to take a breath. We're not even going to take a sip of water. We're going to jump right into our next guest because he's on hold, and I definitely want to hear from him. Joining us now is Gentleman Trainer, and I say gentleman because he's in Louisiana, and he's doing daggone well. Right now he's about 23%. I'm going to say it's probably closer to 25% on a win clip. Anything over 20 merits a big three-star gain in my book, but this guy is double hot. Joining us right now is Mr. Steve Margola. Steve, are you there? Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Wes. Thank you for being patient, sir. We were talking with Brian Feldman, as you heard about. He's uh, yep. going to be handicapping in the DRF finals out there in Vegas. Oh, that's exciting for him. I, uh, uh, where is he from? He's actually from northern Kentucky. And, or excuse me, okay. excuse me, southeast Ohio, and uh, forgive me, he plays at Turfway Park in uh, northern Kentucky, and, uh, you know, a, a track that you know all too well. And uh, Mr. Margolis, I have to tell you, he's, he's one heck of a handicapper, and, you know, and he sure appreciates uh, playing a lot, of your, a lot of your runners as well. And, and thank you, by the way, for taking time to be with us this evening. And I want to jump right into it, if I can. After graduating high school for Steve Margolis, uh, you entered into the world of racing. Tell our listeners a little bit about who played a part in Steve Margolis' career of racing. Well, I started off uh, this summer, about 83, uh, just walking some horses at Monmouth, uh, Noel in particular. I did that for a year or so. Um, worked for uh, John Veach in 1985 when he was training for the Darby Dan uh, as a groom. Uh, did that for a little bit, but worked for Pat Byrne. Uh, for about 87 to 89, uh, learning a little more. And then from 89 to 96, with Howard Tesher in New York. And uh, that's where I got, you know, became an assistant uh, foreman. Uh, from then on, stayed with Howie till 97. Uh, Stanley Huff from 97 to 2000, uh, when I started on my own. And correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny Veach, uh, Kingpin Stewart in Kentucky? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, I've known John a long time, and uh, yep, he is uh, the the chief uh, state steward uh, in uh, Kentucky racing now. Yep, he and he, quite the man. You can you can always see his uh, his uh, shiny head when he's out on the uh, out on the dock or looking yeah. the track from way up, way up above the track. Before I go any further, this Saturday in the eighth race, you got an optional claiming fifty. You got a speedy gelding. I was looking at this nine to five, and uh, and I believe B.J. Hernandez is in, in the saddle, and uh, must, may I say any more about this, or, or would you at least like to at least tell us about, is this runner worth 9 to 5? Yeah, well, he's, uh, you know, we, we had a really great year with him uh, last year in New Orleans. He's actually undefeated here. Uh, uh, had a little bit of an issue. We had to give him just a minor bit of a break. Uh, we brought him back in the Breeders' Cup just because he was training so good, which, you know, is a hard race anyway, but he did disgrace himself. He ran hard, and you know, you know, beat four or five. Uh, we uh, were a little disappointed with his race in the slop. He had never raced in slop. Uh, kind of broke a little slow at Churchill and just kind of spin, spun his wheels, never really got going uh, Ed, in that race. And we're just going to throw it out. He's, he, he hasn't missed a beat since then. And this allowance race uh, became available, and it looks like a real good fit for him. And the five-year-old gelding I'm alluding to is Cash Reef on 9 to 5, drawing the two-hole B.J. Hernandez. Steve Margolis winning 23% of the time. These guys have teamed up in the last 60 days. They've only paired up around eight times, maybe a few more samplings, but they are 62% in the money together, which is incredible. And this runner here loves fairgrounds, four for four with uh, four straight wins. 
Yeah, yeah. He's like I said, he started his career off here uh, as a three-year-old in, in Broker's Maiden, first time out here, and we had he did win the two stakes and allowance in Broker's Maiden. So he certainly has a has a fondness for this track. Working at Turfway Park years ago for myself, I remember a young lad coming out there. You take out your license and you have a runner by the name of Request for Parole who looks to break out. Request mm-hmm. for Parole. What, what yeah. a name. They're looking to break out. Beaten by a neck in the lane's end by Perfect Drift. Uh, fifth in the Derby to War Emblem. How did you and your stable handle this new success for yourself? Now, it was very exciting. I mean, I, I'd worked with, with Stanley, who uh, that, that's, you know, those were the first horses I started with that crop of the Judge TCs, and it was just, it was a great thrill to, uh, you know, let alone compete in races like the Lane Van, and then with the little homebred that, you know, won a stake race at Ellis Park the previous summer to to make it to the into the gate for the Derby uh, is, is a big accomplishment for any horse, any owner, uh, you know, just to get there. Uh, we were very very pleased. The horse ran a real really good fifth uh, beat. 15 War Emblem won that year, and uh, that was just a great experience. It really was for me and all my staff and for the owners. And, in fact, you know, you, you, you were not going to say, well, hey, I'm a one-trick pony. You come back the very next year, and you struck gold with a 22-to-1 shot by the name of Cajun Beat, and your Breeders' Cup went in the sprint at Santa Anita. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was our, that was our first, uh, first trip out to Santa Anita as far as uh, racing is concerned, and yeah, this this little horse who had won the uh, uh, the Turfway Sprint in September uh, when it was on the dirt. Uh, that was his his last race before he he won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Mm-hmm. Was the rider Cornelio Velasquez? Do I have that one right? Yes, yep. He he rode him at he rode him at Turfway, and then he rode him in the Breeders' Cup, and then the race afterwards. I I, re- I remember that like it was yesterday, especially at Turfway Park. I remember watching watching the victory there. And uh, quite quite exciting and quite a sweet price and uh, what a way to you know to show that uh, that Steve Margolis is here to stay and your quote is once as saying your horses are individuals and you have to yep. train them that way does this hold true and there's no blanket plan each gets their own attention yeah I mean you know the the whole reality of training horses that is I mean reality what you want to call it uh, basically you know the horses are all different just like any athlete and. A trainer is, is more of a coach of a, of a team. And all the players are a little different in their own way. Uh, some of them can handle a little more, a little less. and You just have to kind of fine-tune them uh, you know, when you realize where you're at with them, whether the allowance or the claiming or the stake level. Uh, they're all individuals. Some of them you know, are big and sturdy. Some of them are a little more fine-boned. And, uh, I feel as a trainer, you just kind of train the horse uh, what he needs or she needs to uh, to the best of that they could be, and you know, just make it all work from there. But you know, that's that goes with the grooms and the riders, and you know, some exercise riders in the morning might get along with a certain horse better. And so it's a it's a team effort. We have a good staff that's been with me a long time. And uh, but the reality is, yeah, the horses are all individuals, and I mean, they all go around dirt kind of in the same way. But whether one might go a little further, one might do a little more. So yeah, then we try to. Uh, cater to the horse and uh, make them feel like, you know, try to get the best out of them in their own way. In their own tailored plan. You couldn't ask for anything yeah. better than that. That is, as a conditioner, do you have a preference for speed, closers, turf, uh, babies? A lot of trainers do. Do you have any any yeah. preference? I mean, now that we have more horses, we're, we're up, 
to the 47 uh, number right now as, as we speak at the fairground. So you know, we've got turf, we've got some distance, we've got uh, speed. So it, it, as you grow more and get more horses, of course, you'll acquire different kinds. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, when you're running, of course, longer races, you're when we ran the Colts, say, putting the Belmont, of course, you got to train him a little different than you're training a horse to go five and a half on the turf. Uh, but, you know, once a horse gets fit uh, in, in, in their own racing, you know, regimen and what they're running in, you just, you know, train them to whatever, you know, distance and, you know, you believe is best for that individual horse. But uh, there's really no – the horse will kind of, you know, tell you when he or she is, you know, maybe not feeling good. So you just kind of – you're basically managing and watching along with your good people that you have working for you to – to, to be on top of it and to observe and pay attention the best you can. I would have to say that's quite quite a daunting task to to actually uh, communicate with an animal that can't speak and say, well, my tummy hurts today, or I have a little bit of filling in my left front, and uh, you actually have to you have to be doctor, you have to be uh, you have to be conditioner, you, you, you're a jack of all trades, as as I see most trainers usually are. Yeah, you know, like you said, it's, uh, you know, basically you're, you're coaching a team that. Uh, of players that can't talk and through, through observation and watching and having good staff with you is, uh, you know, makes the whole thing work out as far as, you know, what you're trying to accomplish and, and do right for the horse. Well, and in fact, you're doing very well and especially down at fairgrounds in the course of a year. I, I know that you're at fairgrounds. I, I'll see you at Oakland, uh, uh, some in, in where in the course of a year will we see Mr. Margolis? Well, what we've been doing it over the last couple of years, it's worked out really well for us. Coming here, of course, has been really positive for me and the owners. We all like it. Uh, we'll run some of Oklahoma this winter. Um, then we'll go back home to Kentucky. But what I did the last two years was take a string to Delaware Park, uh, mid-Atlantic, kind of northeast region, uh, which is a very good area because it puts us in a position where we have Philly Park and Delaware and Monmouth and Penn National and New York when when the time is right. Uh, so we're within a couple hours of of some major Northeast uh, Mid Atlantic tracks, Maryland. Uh, then by coming back to Kentucky, of course, you know we have Keeneland and Churchill, but uh, that and also Indiana has a good program now with their slots. They're they're running for very competitive money uh, through the maids and the allowance type races. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're. Uh, we're going and possibility of uh, maybe sending a few to Saratoga uh, if, if the horses warrant and uh, looks like we can, you know, uh, maybe take a few of the of the quality horses up there also. I'd say you rack up some pretty frequent driver and flyer yeah. miles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, no, you have to be willing to ship, especially in the summer, and uh, that's why it's nice in the winter here to able to be all together for four months and uh you know in the fairgrounds it's worked out very good for us steve industry-wide have you seen and have you seen conditions get safer for riders and horses alike uh, i think i think a lot of the racetracks are, are doing the uh the safety thing the the, the accredited thing uh making mm-hmm. sure the rails and uh, of course having the right vests and helmets for the individuals on the horses, the exercise people and the jockeys, the gate crew and all that. Uh, yeah, I think we know we're, we're more in tune with uh, the health and the well-being of the horse, of course, to prevent, you know, horses from getting hurt and, and injured. 
So uh, I, I think the industry's taking a, a harder look at that and, you know, doing more uh, uh, groundwork and investigating and research in, in all those departments, which is, uh, I think, a real positive thing. This definitely isn't our granddad's game by any way, shape, or form. It's it's a uh, it's a cross between art and science, and it's a beautiful thing when it all comes together. And safety in all uh, in all way, shape, and form for riders and horses alike is is a great thing for the industry. Steve, about this time, I usually do something called the Fast Five. Now, like this is uh, like Jeopardy without all the money. You know, that means I'm not going to be okay. mailing you the check for four point five million dollars. But I ask five quick questions, and you pop in with the first thing that pops into your head. No right or wrong answers. You have the right to decline. Are you willing to take the Fast Five? Sure, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, you got it. Okay, question one: Who is the greatest trainer you've ever witnessed? Uh. Maybe Alan Jerkins. Alan Jerkins, giant killer. Yeah. Wow. I, I I would have to say that I've never never seen him in person, but I actually had the uh, pleasure of having him on as a as a and, and wow, was he terrific? He was he was great. Yeah. So the giant killer. Okay, we we'll, we'll we'll log that one in. Question two: If you could choose one profession other than being a trainer, what would it be? Um. Uh, hmm. Tough. Maybe be a uh, captain of a of a boat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you and I are going to be Fun, on Gilligan's yeah. Island for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we got you logged in as two. Question number three: New Orleans is known for great food. I asked Al Stahl a few weeks back, and now it is your turn. Where is the best place to eat? Uh, I'll take a place. We really love called uh, Clancy's on, in, in Uptown. Uptown Clancy's, okay, because I'm passing this on to someone who actually writes a, a little bit of a food review, and uh, she touches on other places. So Clancy's, okay, got you there. You're three in. Number four, as a trainer, do you lean towards giving a horse more time, or do you stick to a regimented plan? Uh, more time. Time just I mean with all due respect and not not alluding to age just like the old timers did time cures all wounds. Yes, I like that. I, I you know I, I think with patience and if you have the right ownership uh, and they're willing to to foot the bill and and do the right thing, I think it cuts back on catastrophic injuries and big injuries and problems. I think time cures a lot a lot of wounds. No, no, you're right. You're exactly right, Ed. Number five in the final question, <laughs> Mr. Margolis, I know it's been a rough climb with a successful career and numbers that speak for themselves. Will we see you bring your babies around to head towards that first Saturday in May at Churchill? Uh, this year, I don't know if we have a derby colt, but I think we might have a possibility of an Oaks Philly. So that's kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, the colts are a little bit behind, but uh, we have a lot of really nice fillies now. Well, don't leave us hanging on the edge of the rock. You, you have to give us the name so we can write it down. Oh, we've got a couple. Of, we've already have a a silly a, a that a, a good bunch of Louisville clients bought at a very good uh, deal down in OBS June for thirty thousand, and she won the Delta Princess bouquet booth. Mm-hmm. She's accomplished the most um, as far as the uh, the running department. Then we have Little Miss Holly for Al Gold, who's a really good client of mine. And she broke her maiden. She's going to run in the um, in the silver bullet day coming up along with bouquet booth. 
Uh, and then we have a couple maiden fillies, a, a nice tappet filly named Switching Gears, who was third in allowance in her first trip around two turns. And uh, another maiden filly in Putty Tap, who's going to run in a couple of weeks, who we've got hope for. So we, we've got a lot of quality fillies. We have a lot of quality horses in general between due date and cash refund and uh, you know, some young unraced horses that we haven't started yet. So we're, we're very excited for uh, all our potential um, prospects that we have coming up. 2010-2011, you started 292 starters, 25% winners, 53% of the money. That is an incredible number there, Mr. Margolis. On behalf of Winning Ponies, we'd like to thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to be with us tonight to talk horses, to talk about your your horses, your runners, your plans, enlighten us on the ways of a gentleman trainer from Louisiana, and give us one of the best places to eat if we uh, make it to our way down to New Orleans. And on behalf hey. of Winning Ponies, we'd like to wish you and yours the best on and off the track. Well, thank you very much for having me. I had a real great time talking to you and uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Mr. Margolis. I'm going to be looking for you in the winter circle. I'll probably catch you at Keeneland probably sooner rather than later, and I'll, and I'll give you a shout about that point. Okay, sounds great. Look forward to it, Ed. Yes, sir. Steve Margolis, gentleman trainer, very nice guy. we got ourselves four minutes to close, and that leaves me just about enough time to see if we can get a little bit of action here going with some with some final furlong handicapping here. I'm just going to kind of toss out uh, race name and number in the second race of Turfway on Saturday. I like the three Emmy. Uh, a big speedster here. My dad loves this rider, Bonnie Castaneda. I believe his four-year-old filly is dropping in class, and uh, I say dropping down in class and going to go from six and a half to a mile. Emmy going to be tough to catch in the second at Turfway Park. And then we go on to race number four at Turfway, and it's home of the Polytrack, as we were talking to Brian, and we were talking to Steve Margolis. In the fourth race here, I, I like the seven. Now, I, I know it's, it, it's, it's not going to sound crazy, but I, I think the seven has really caught my eye, and there's no odds out, which kind of drives me crazy. It, it, re- it really drives me crazy because I'd like to know what you got there, and that's Point Man talking Ben Creed for Phil Sims, three for four in the money at Turfway Park. I really like this runner here, and and indeed, I think Ben Creed is really stepping his game up, and and I, and I would say that uh, he's he's going to be uh, forced to be reckoned with uh, on on the Kentucky circuit, if not uh, all points uh, all points that that he actually boots up. He he also rises. Indiana as well. And then in the seventh race, I like the seven. I like the seven. That's Cuvi's image. Marcelino Pedroza, who won the who won the uh, the very short holiday meet for Joe Kane. Joe Kane's a very nice horse and dropping down from maiden twenty five down to maiden fifteen. That's what you're gonna get for me there. And then we are going to go to from Turfway, beautiful Turfway Park. And uh, we've already heard from Mr. Margolis about cash refund, so there's really no reason to uh, kind of rehash that because that's going to be one that I'm going to want to play there. In the second race at Gulfstream, the second race at Gulfstream kind of caught my ear. Five to one, Bella Monita. Pasio Lopez, Paco Lopez is his friend's name as Nick Canani, dropping from Allowance Company down to $50,000, and I think uh, Bello Monita really looks good in the second race, and that is the eight horse. And then I go into the third race 
at Gulfstream Park, and, and I come up with a five. And the best part of what I like about it is I'm seeing odds now, nine to five with Candyman E, and you got Jesus Castellan and Michael Mariana. They're teaming up together. Last time finished a beautiful third at Churchill Downs. Had the lead, made a middle move, going to come back from six and a half. I really, really like that in the third race. And then my last play of the day, is in the seventh race at Gulfstream. And, and uh, the, the seventh race, I, I was really just kind of only looking for plays that, uh, plays that really clicked for me and uh, plays that, you know, may, they, may not offer, they may not offer tons of value, but, but you may be able to pair them up with, with others that, uh, that may just kind of surprise you. In the seventh race at Gulfstream, uh, I, I, I'm kind of leaning, as, as we're going to go six panels, it's the $100,000 uh, spectacular bid stakes. In the seventh race, I, I like number five in here. And the reason I, I like the five, Leaf of Aston, five to two, Rajiv Marat for Richard Viola, two for two in the money. And this is about the time the three-year-old Colts are really starting to feel their, uh, feel their oats. A three-year-old Colt by Harlan holiday and uh, i love leave of absence here five to two uh been all since aqueduct when they ran on the outer track Reggie put her on the shelf or excuse me richard violet put her on the shelf uh off of a win but i'm also going to box up with number four war for gus 12 to one kent DeSorma. i'm going to box up those two right there uh for steven demario and uh, actually uh, can show a little bit of stalking speed. Ran on the dirt at Calder, then five panels on the turf and came off the pace. Both races out of the 10-hole, which were incredible indeed. You know, when you, when you actually find runners like that, that you, you really need to kind of capitalize on that. And there, there was one that, uh, that gets a small bet for me, and that's in the, sec, or excuse me, the uh, first race at Aqueduct. And you're only going to get eight to five, but you're going to have to really stretch out in the opener at Aqueduct. And, you know, it be, being eight to five, I'm going to say you're probably going to see four to five, to be very honest with you. But this is a great way to kick off your doubles, your pick threes, your pick fours, and everything in between her. That is the two star of new york well as we always say time flies when you're talking thoroughbred racing this week is no different we'd like to thank our guest brian feldman for joining us he's an ace handicapper mr steve margolis a gentleman trainer and you for tuning in so until next week may your winners be many and your photos be few good luck and good night everyone Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.